Suto Phil. Buena llegada de Alexis de nuevo el centro atrás para el segundo. Ha marcado y es justo y Wobi. El 2-0 para el Arsenal. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. How are you doing? I'm well. How is your morning? It's mixed, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. I um, I was late for the podcast. I, I, I hold my hands up, so we be arriving with you slightly later than usual. And I... I was um, out last night, drowning my sorrows after watching the Spurs game. Yeah. Attempting to forget it. Mm. Attempting to forget much of the season, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I did it I, work? Well, I, I don't remember much of yesterday, so that's some consolation. But you remember uh, the whole season, unfortunately. Unfortunately, the rest of the season sort of stayed with me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's put me in a, a fantastic mood this morning. I've got a... A clear head, a clear mind, and uh, ready for some sharp analytical thought on the podcast. Excellent. Well, I mean, I should reveal, of course, that we were scheduled to record at 10, and then you texted me last night going, can we make it 11? I'm anticipating yeah. a massive hangover. Yes. So, And then I end, it ended up being 11.30. It was even more massive than I'd anticipated. <laughs> well, look, here we are. Here we are. And I think, um, you know, that that's to be commended. We're here. We're, We're here. And how are you? Are you in the, the best of health? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Had a relatively quiet weekend. I didn't do anything to try and make myself forget what I'd seen over the, over the course of the last couple of days. I just felt that was like a pointless exercise. Mm. I, I've seen too much. You know that dog? Um, that, Sad that, eyes. No, the cupcakes dog. You know that guy? I don't know cupcakes dog. You haven't seen this? There's this um, a brilliant gif. I refuse to call them gifs. Yeah, I'm looking for it now. Oh, yeah, he's looking. <laughs> I have seen this dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so that's that's kind of where I am in terms of this season and, you know, what, what I've seen. I'm just Harrowed, like, yeah. Yeah, I've seen too much, way too much. Um, but apart from that, I, I'm okay. I had a relatively, relatively quiet weekend, so nothing nothing is vexing me beyond the football. You know, I don't have any ha- well, uh, hangover or headache. With, I would say. It, it, is, it is a lot to be going on with. It really is. Um, yeah. So where to where to start, begin, commence? That's a good question. I suppose the Everton game? No, the Everton game, the West Ham game. I keep, I was call, say, I keep thinking I, we could go back and just talk about the Everton game. That was quite good, 2-0 I, win. I, I enjoyed that. I think that West Ham are sort of <laughs> the new Everton, aren't they? They're kind of the the relatively attractive team who are knocking on the door of the Champions League. Everton and the new West Ham, sort of mid-table mediocrity. Yeah. have switched around. Yeah, it's all a bit weird. Actually, one of the things I noticed during the game uh, on Saturday was was quite how stoky the West Ham fans were. Mm. You know, they were, they were a physical side. Uh, Andy Carroll, a bit late there on Koscielny, could have been a red card. Mm. Um, and they took umbrage to this. They took umbrage to decisions going against them and got very stoky and, you know, the same old arsehole always cheating when one of our players gets his bollocks ripped, you know, from, from inside him. Uh, this is somehow an arsehole player's fault. Um, but, yeah, I thought that was quite interesting because, you know, West Ham fans... You expect better, do you? Or do we? Or should we? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that's it. That's it for the up, for Upton Park, isn't it? Or the Berlin Ground, whatever it's called. Uh, they keep changing it. I don't understand. What's it really called? It's called the Berlin Ground. Right. Yeah. Like how Arsenal... Highbury was called Arsenal Stadium. Yeah. 
And that, uh, so I won't miss it, I'll be honest. I mean, West Ham fans are tricky. I had a couple of texts off West Ham mates saying, your lot dive a lot and that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, they they fall over, yes. when If you kick us... Do we not bleed? <laughs> if you if you try and take the ankles off, just above do, the little yeah. ankle bone. Do thing our there, ankles not come off? They do come uh, off. Koscielny was quite lucky. That was nasty, I thought, from Carroll. Uh, yeah, it was. I, did you think it was a red card or a yellow card? I thought that given the deliberateness of it and the fact that he took a couple of kicks at him from behind, it was really borderline for me. Really boring. One of those one. orange cards. One of those orange ones. Yeah. I think I think I could understand it being a yellow. Yeah. Um but, but I thought he was still lucky to stay on later in the game. He was swinging his elbows around like nobody's business. Well, there was one that went into Gabrielle's face. Yes. His beautiful face. Yeah, <laughs> what a shame. <laughs> um but, I, but for that one, in fairness, uh you know, he wasn't looking at Gabrielle, he was just jumping with his arms up and those kind of clashes can happen from time to time. Not that I want to necessarily give him any benefit of the doubt or anything, but yeah, I don't know. Did we play naively or foolishly against a guy who is, let's face it, a bit temperamental and who was on a yellow card after four minutes? Could we not have been a bit more cynical? Maybe. Or is that not the gentlemanly thing to do? I don't know. I don't know if Gabriel's much of a gentleman, usually. Uh, usually he enjoys winding people up, doesn't he? He had a right go at doing the same to Costa and vice versa at Stafford Bridge. I, I think you might be right. Well, the thing that I thought was mentioned about Carroll is that Arsene Wenger came out after the game and said he, he really didn't expect him to play. And given West Ham's recent team selection, I suppose you know there is a certain logic to that. He's not been starting. But yeah. it was kind of... Um, it was clear that West Ham, they spoke, in fact, Carroll spoke about it in his post-match interview, that they'd spent all week looking at Arsenal's weakness on crosses. Um, and, you know, they, they picked their team accordingly and it, well, that's, it paid dividends. I, I, look, I, I have to say that I'm pretty much appalled and outraged <laughs> that such a thing could happen. That a, <laughs> that a manager in a football team could assess the opposition, find some weaknesses highlight those weaknesses, practice on exploiting those weaknesses, and then put those very things into practice in an actual match situation. It's just not the right thing to do. Well, precisely. How dare how, they? How dare they prepare accordingly for each opposition, according to their strengths and weaknesses? I am um, Bastards. I mean, do we... I don't want to just lay straight into the manager five minutes into the podcast, but is that... Was that a bit naive on his part to think that Carroll wouldn't be involved? I mean, he's exactly the sort of player we really struggled to deal with. I think we probably should have been perhaps aware that it was a possibility. Mm. Maybe they might look at this weakness in the other. Arsene Wenger admitted after the game, he talked about this. We've had this aerial weakness because he was talking about the goalkeeper, and we'll come to that, I think, in, in a little while. But he was talking about the goalkeeping situation. Why didn't he play uh, Czech rather than Ospina? And he said, well, look, we've had this problem in the air all season. It's got nothing to do with who's in goal. Um, so if he was aware that they've had a problem all season, he must be aware that Slavin Bilic, uh, as a modern manager who looks at the opposition, who does perhaps uh, tailor his teams to, to various different games, might have used Andy Carroll in, in this particular one. I love this quote from Arsene Wenger afterwards. He was talking about Andy Carroll. He said, mm. we should have made life a bit more difficult for him. On the <laughs> first, second... And third goals, we, we were a bit naive defensively. I love that. 
on, on the first, the second, and the third. Just the three. Just the three goals that we conceded. We were a little bit naive. <laughs> I've just gone on Arsenal.com to look at some other quotes, and the, the headline, Arsenal.com, it's just a picture of Arsene Wenger looking a bit sad and confused, and the, the big, bold headline just says, in the context, it's a bad result. <laughs> You oh, don't dear. say, yeah. yeah um, no. In any context, it's a bad result, I think. From, from the position that we're in, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, on paper, if you look at it absolutely with a complete distance and say, well, you know, a draw a draw at West Ham, given they're fifth in the table and given they're playing well all season and they haven't lost a, at Upton Park, bowling ground, whatever the hell it's called, haven't mm. lost there since August, you know, they, that's not a bad result. But when you're 2-0 up, and two minutes away from half time, and you go three two down within five minutes of the second half. You, that's a bad result for me. Yeah. That is a bad yeah. result. No, I mean it is you know hugely frustrating when Arsenal comes out afterwards and talks about the the mental strength of the side for coming back into the game to get an equaliser. I mean, I suppose they deserve a, a modicum of credit for that, but collapsing at two up, it was extraordinary, wasn't it? Forty three minutes, wasn't it, on the clock, something like that. Yeah, and all we had to do was get to half time and. I, I I was I couldn't I nearly laughed to be honest watching it I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Hang on, no, you could believe what you were seeing. You could. I, tr- I could. Let's let's not get into the realms of <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous here. You could definitely believe what you were seeing because we we've seen it all right. Uh, yeah, the first goal went in at forty three forty nine, and the second goal went in at forty six minutes and thirty seconds. Um, and for me. This highlighted a real big problem that we have in this team. We can come to the defensive issues in a couple of moments' time, and there are obviously uh, things to talk about there. Mm. Uh, There were some uh, Lauren Koscielny quotes, and we'll talk about those. Mm. But two minutes away from halftime, you're winning 2-0 away from home at a team that is uh, good this season, that has been very strong at home, uh, that you know is dangerous as well. So why not, and I know this is a fucking radical idea, why not just be compact, sit off, uh, defend the space as well, don't give them any room to attack you, close down men who are on the ball, don't allow crosses, just do the basics. Don't go flying forward looking for a third goal. Don't go flying all over the place looking to try and put the game out of sight. This is why I think we missed players like... Petr Cech, uh, although his influence from the goalkeeping position might be uh, a little difficult, but somebody like, for example, Per Mertesacker or Mikel Arteta, and I'm not talking about Arteta as a player, I'm just talking about as uh, an experienced footballer who could talk to the players around him and say, hey, look, look, just be a bit sensible. Play keep ball. Don't give it away. Don't do anything silly. Let's just work hard, get into halftime, 2-0 up, and from there you can then work on a plan for the second half. There was maybe, just, it was just so. bonkers. But do you not think that there are players out there who should be able to assume that responsibility for themselves? I mean, guys like Ozil, who's won the World Cup, guys like Alexis, you know, uh, Koscielny, France International. Do you not think that they should still be able to, to make those kind of strategic calls on the pitch? I... I... 
they they should be, but none of them strike me as those kind of players. <laughs> they though. should be, but they're not. <laughs> yeah, they should be, but they're not. They do have the experience. And I also wonder whether or not we look at situations. Uh, I got an email, actually. Uh, I'm going to see if I can find it here very quickly. Um, bum, 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 bum. Okay. Yeah, from Alexander uh, Aquerburu. I think I'm getting that very wrong. He, he's Alex A. Anyway, and he says he's the only Arsenal fan from Togo. He says, no, really, I'm sure I'm the only one. And what he referenced <laughs> was um, Jose Mourinho in the sense that when you're in a certain position in a game, Mm. That okay, here's what we do if we're one nil up, and here's what we do if we're two nil up, and here's what we do if we're two one up. I do wonder if part of the reason why we're not good at managing those situations is because there's no instruction about what we do when we manage those situations. It's easy to say, look, do the sensible thing, but if it's not part of um, your training or part of your preparation, I do wonder if if that sort of thing. Uh, it occurs to the players or it should come more naturally, right? So if, you know, they're two minutes away from halftime, they're 2-0 up, okay, we've dealt with this. We've talked about this. This is what we should do in this situation. And I do wonder if that's something that's missing. Um, and you talk so it about, has to be coached, basically. Uh, to an extent. Yeah. Um, and I think your point about the, the guys like Koscielny, like uh, Ozil, like Alexis, like, uh, you know, these guys who've been around the block and, and played uh, plenty of big games and in big tournaments and all that kind of stuff. You're right, but you can't say that those qualities were there against no. West Ham. And we need those kind of qualities because in-game management, whether it's from the sideline or from players on the pitch, through leadership or whatever else, that's an important part of football as well. And I think that's something that we're missing. Well, clearly, clearly. I mean, what happened at Upton Park shows you that. And... Uh, uh, while I think those players should be capable of that, I wouldn't contest the fact that they're not. I wouldn't contest the fact that they consistently demonstrate that they don't know how to manage a game. And uh, I do think that you, you might be on something there. Maybe that is about it being sort of systematically bed into the side through coaching, through instruction, through having a clear plan of what to do in different situations rather than just relying upon moments of individual responsibility. Maybe there needs to be greater direction from the top. I mean... You know, it's really frustrating because I was watching that first 40 minutes. It wasn't a brilliant performance, but there were positives. Oh, and yeah, then, yeah. You know, Alex Awobi in particular, two great assists. I thought Mohamed Elneny was looking very good in midfield. But then all of a sudden that rug is pulled away from you. And, uh, you know, within sort of 10 minutes of football time, uh, we're in a position where we're behind. I mean, it, it, it's mm. staggering, really, if it wasn't so expected. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, you know, this uh, whole thing about expected goals. There must yes. be some analysis of Arsenal of expected fuck-ups. Yeah, it must yeah, be yeah. really the easiest thing in football to predict the, the statistical data analysis that goes with that must be just a piece of piss. Even oh, I could probably yeah. do it. Our XFU is through the roof. <laughs> XFU, brilliant. We've got to get some T-shirts at that made. <laughs> um, all right, well, look, before we look at the defending, let's talk about the couple of positives that we had. Goals from Mesut Ozil and from Alexis Sanchez and two assists from Alex Awobi. Yeah, and really good goals and, and really good assists as well. I mean, Iwobi is so impressive. What I noticed it on a, quite a few occasions in this game was just his power, his upper body strength for a player of that age is is really something. And, uh, of course, the awareness, of course, that passing ability. He was great. Um, and I think, I mean, maybe we'll come on to him because he's one of the wide players who Laurent Koscielny kind of called out in his post-match comments, you know, as regards to the defending. But mm. 
they were good goals and really good finishes from Erzul and Alexis, players who haven't necessarily found goals easy to come by of late. Yeah, true. So there we are. We're like, put ourselves in this fantastic position and then, and then it all goes, and, and then. then, XFU uh, to the max. Um, <laughs> Should we go through it goal by goal, shall we? Or? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Why now, not? I, let's put ourselves through the ringer. Yeah, why not? We're here to share the misery and uh, maybe it'll be cathartic in the end. Who knows? <laughs> but look, the first one, I, for all the positives that Iwobi had, people have pointed to him conceding possession uh, for both the goals before half time, mm. he lost the ball. He gave a bad pass, and then he was sort of robbed in possession for for the second one. Um, yeah, ideally you don't want that to happen, but I do think there were other factors involved. It would be very diff- or very harsh to to pin the blame on him entirely. The first one, then he loses the ball. West Ham spread it, um, and the ball comes to Cresswell on the left hand side, who's got a great left foot, can cross the ball very well. Yeah. Nobody, and it is a very good cross. Yeah, it's a great cross, but nobody's anywhere near him. Nobody. Mm. Um, and in the middle, Andy Carroll is standing on the edge of the box. He's watching, he's waiting. And Lauren Koscielny is standing, watching, waiting. He's not close to him. I mean, for me, as a uh, what you want a centre-half to do there is be right on top of him and make it really difficult for him to make the run. Now, Carroll is so big and strong and powerful in the air that if he gets a run and jumps, you're fucked. There's no way around that. So what you do is you make it really difficult for him to run and jump. You stand in his way. You know, that. I mean, for me, that was just basic. Does Carroll give him a problem by the fact that he his starting position is so deep? So he, he comes sort of almost right to the edge of the box and Koscielny probably doesn't want to follow him there? Is that is that fair? I don't M- know. Maybe, but look, you've got uh, one player, I think it was Antonio outside him, um, mm. and Monreal is on him, and it's Monreal that ends up marking Carroll, because she only just stands there, and what you have is Gabrielle standing as well. So you've got two centre-halves. I mean, yeah. uh, what you could do is, Koscielny uh, goes to Carroll, tells Gabrielle to cover, and you're set up for it. So it's not like you're you're overloaded. It's two like two West Ham players, three Arsenal defenders in the box, and on the edge of the box there are two other. I guess it's um, I think it could be Awobi and El Neni on the right. edge of the box with one West Ham guy sort of there or thereabouts as well coming in. So I you know I thought the defending was weak. I thought the the fact that we didn't close the cross down was really weak as well. Koscielny said you can't let them get a cross in easy because they've got good players on the wings. It's a job for everyone, not just the defenders. The guys on the flanks need to help their teammates with defending. That's quite pointed, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And this was, I mean, strategically, this was a really fascinating game because West Ham started with a back three mm. and it gave them loads of problems defensively. We were finding space outside their centre-halves. We scored two goals in that fashion uh, with players, you know, in the channels. But it did mean that they had kind of an overload, uh, you know, when they went forward. They found we struggled to deal with their wing-backs. We didn't defend well against them. Mm. So we were trading these blows. And Koscielny sounds... Pretty hacked off, and what I suppose what's surprising about that is you look at our wide players, Awobi and Alexis. They're players who typically we would consider ones who who do work hard for the team and yeah. do cover, yeah. uh, particularly in the case of Alexis. So it's interesting that he's, you know, do you think his? I mean, it sounds like from what you, from saying that Crest wasn't so much space, it sounds like you think he's he's got a point, Kashani there. Yeah, of course, I think he's got a point. But I mean, he's also accountable, right? He yeah, also he's, didn't yeah, of course, he's got his own part to play in the goal for sure, but. Uh, he's absolutely right. You know, that the, the best way to, to stop 
a player like Carroll causing you problems is to stop the crosses and to stop those at source. So you've got to work hard um, to close down the men who are going to make those crosses. So I, he's absolutely right, but he's also got to, to take some... Uh, take some responsibility himself, which, to be fair, and I should just give the rest of his cross, uh, or the rest of his quote, a mention. He says uh, on Carroll, he's quality when it comes to heading the ball. If you want to win the duel, you need to be stronger and arrive early on the cross. And I, my assumption here is that he's talking about attacking the ball as a defender rather than yeah. cutting it out um, at source, out in the flanks. Um, well, there we go. I mean, that's something at least. But I, I do think... I do think it is frustrating. I mean, it, I, in some ways, I think the defending on the second goal was actually worse yeah. uh, in my eyes. Did you did you see it that way? Well, yeah. What did you think of the decision to punch the corner? I mean, I'm never a massive fan. When it's when it's catchable, do you know what I mean? When mm. when you have that opportunity, especially right on half time, mm. uh, and you can sort of kill the game effectively yeah. for a few yeah, seconds. Yeah, yeah. That would have been lovely. I said it's kept in play. The players have to make a call about pushing up or not, um, which we're not good at at the best of times. <laughs> and uh, there we go. I mean, when the ball fell to Carroll at the back post, he had far too much space for my liking. Yeah, for sure. Like we pushed out, but we didn't look around to see who was there behind us. Mm. It's ridiculous the amount of um, the amount of uh, like one, two. I think there may have been another players. Like, there were okay. Him. There were. Five, four West Ham players behind four Arsenal defenders, all of whom are in like a, a line together. They're really close together. Carroll stays on side. Uh, number two, who's behind? Uh, let's see. I think it's a number two uh, who's behind That's Carroll Winston as well. Reed, I think. Winston Reid. So if the ball comes back in, Winston Reid is absolutely clear at the back post as well. He's 100%. There isn't an Arsenal player within seven or eight yards of him and he's on side so the defending there was was brutal absolutely brutal uh, when it came to Carroll were we slow to close him down did he get a bit of luck do you think when he miskicked it rebounded back off Gabriel yeah maybe could maybe. Gabriel have done better uh, I can't remember to be honest I think he got a bit of luck but then the way you dispatched it was quite impressive even via mm. deflection you know yeah. I, I, I think uh, and bear in mind in that first half we could have well conceded another goal um, Lanzini put one away just before we scored actually yeah where he was actually onside and mm. called off mm. so uh, the defending was was pretty poor to be honest yeah. as, a, as a unit yeah. it was a mess yeah and this is where we I think we'll talk about will we talk about Ospina and Czech now because I think yeah, just, I think just so. talking about that uh, that punch and I think the point you make is really interesting because okay we've conceded a goal not ideal but not the end of the world right when you have a corner like that, if you've got a goalkeeper that comes out and claims that and takes that ball, it just takes the pressure off you. Yeah. Catch you, it, fall, do that thing where goalies do where they fall on the floor yeah. and lie on the ball. Absolutely. For about 20 seconds. Just kill some time. Get yourself organised again, if you've got anybody out there who can fucking organise a team in the first place. <laughs> but, you know, that's where that's where I think the benefit of Czech is. And w what I said about Ospina after the game, people were thinking I was being critical of him. I wasn't critical of him because I don't think he had any chance with any of the goals. Uh, what I was critical of, or not necessarily critical of, the point I was making was that if you have a goalkeeper who can come and dominate the area, that it makes... It makes it more difficult for a player like Andy Carroll to have that kind of threat. That when the goalkeeper comes off his line and catches the ball and is big and strong, it, it's 
it's more difficult for the attacking team. Ospina is a goalkeeper, as we know, who likes to stay on his line. He doesn't really venture outside his six-yard box much at all. Mm. Uh, he, When he does come, he's not always terribly convincing. Uh, and I think maybe if Czech had come and saved that, you know, taken that. What, what did you think of the decision? I was really surprised, really surprised. Do you and- think the decision was made because Petr Cech is not 100% fit or because he was just happy with how Ospina had played and wanted to keep a winning team? I, I think I think that it was decision made because he was happy with Ospina. I really do, because he had the opportunity in his post-match to say, Cech's not quite right. And I know that he was doing some work on his calf before the game, but... I. I don't know. I mean, all the indications were that Czech would come back in. He's been on the bench for two matches. I, I, and we've seen Arsene do this kind of thing before. That's the thing. I wouldn't put it past him at all. I think that he didn't anticipate Carroll playing and thought that Ospina deserved to continue. I think he's probably got one in his head. He's worrying about keeping Ospina across the summer. He likes him as his number two and he wants to feel that there's a meritocracy in place and mm. if you perform well, you stay in the side. But if that is the case, I find it so mental uh, <laughs> I mean do you think that or do you think Czech's not right part of me wants to think that Czech isn't quite 100% yet do you not think Arsene would have taken the opportunity to sort of say that I mean maybe he has and I've missed it but no I haven't heard him say that and I'm not sure that he would actually say that right um, to me the only logical reason for keeping Czech on the bench is he's not 100% fit but like you my suspicion is that Czech could have played and that he picked Ospina because he wanted to I don't know why I don't know he's done well he's he's done okay because he's a nice man he is a nice man because Wenger is a nice man Mm. and he didn't want to be horrible to David Ospina who's performed really well but Petr Cech is the clear number one at this club he was bought specifically because of that he was bought to make a difference in games like yesterday and I know that he made mistakes on the first day against West Ham but really has he made mistakes like that since then? No. Not not that I can remember with any kind of regularity. No. And, and I agree with you that Ospina stood little chance with most of those goals. Um, but I do wonder if the presence of Czech, his ability to come off the line, I wonder if the first time a cross was lofted into the penalty area in the match, if Czech had come, taken it, claimed it, held on to it, I just wonder if that would put that little seed of doubt in Carroll's mind, mm. give West Ham that little pause for thought, not give them the confidence that they had that every time they swung the ball into the box, Carroll would get there almost unimpeded. Absolutely. That was my whole point about the the, the goalkeeping selection decision. That was my entire point, is that I think it changes the way that the team defends and it adds an extra bit of security and defensive solidity when you've got a goalkeeper who can do what Petr Cech does. Like Ospina's a great shot stopper. He makes some good saves, even if he never seems to catch the ball at the first attempt when yeah, he makes he did a good save. Bit, uh, a good bit of sweeping as well. Yeah. Which, you know, he's probably superior to check in that respect in terms yeah. of getting off his line quickly. Yeah. But that isn't the threat we were up against at West Ham. Mm. And of course, you don't make a half time check. You don't take your goalkeeper off at half time. It's just. You know, it's weird. I Nobody do wonder if I do wonder if you know Arsene said he didn't expect Carroll to start at all. Was what he said. Yeah. And I do wonder if when the team sheets came in, he looked at his selection and looked at Petr Cech and Per Mertzak on the bench mm. and had a you know a slight moment of oh maybe I've got this wrong. I, yeah. It would only be natural, I suppose. So look, like the that. third goal then, 
Uh, Monreal, which is unusual for him this season, got well and truly done by the right back. And the cross mm-hmm. came in to the back post, where, of course, you want Hector Bellerin, all five foot nine of him, marking six foot four, six foot five, with his ponytail, with his terrible hair. Oh, he doesn't have that anymore, does he? Does he? He's got like terrible cornrows or something. Has he? I mean, he's had Andy Carroll, not Bellerin, yeah. Um, right, right, right. So yeah, that's that's the guy that you want marking Andy Carroll, isn't it? At the back post. Again, does that come down to organizational issues between the central defenders? Maybe. I mean, maybe one of the central defenders should have gone with him. I mean, Carroll's probably being smart there. He's probably thinking, I'll pull I'll pull onto this player who's a foot shorter than me yeah. rather than one well, Gabriel Koscielny. But you I think would, wouldn't you? Of course, of course. Uh, and I suppose the it's not like in the days where we had Bakary Sanyo at right back who would fancy his chances against anyone in the air. You know, Bellerin's not that sort of player necessarily. Mm. So I think, I guess, yeah, you'd hope that the centre-halves would go. But, I mean, I don't know. I can't remember. I haven't got the cross in front of me now. I don't think any goalkeeper would have plucked out that cross. It was quite lofted. Although David Espina's positioning, I thought, was certainly interesting on the, on the third goal. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> mean, little party trick of... Being behind the line. Yeah, I, I asked a question on Twitter about it and some people, the, the, the answers, I was going, why does he do it? Because it's something he does quite often. And mm. some people say it's because he's shit and I don't buy that. Some people say it's because he wants to give himself more time to react. And I'm not sure I buy that either. I just think, I think it's, it's a weird, because, it's a weird well, think, affectation that he has with his goalkeeping. Well, I think he's so reticent to come off his line in those situations that he he literally ends up sort of almost by the pattern of play being pushed a bit behind it. Yeah, surely no goalkeeping coach is telling him stand behind the line. Surely, I mean that can't be a that can't be a real thing, right? No, I mean you want to narrow the angle as much as possible. You want to get out of the goal, right? So I don't know. It's a it's a curious. Coincidence, let's say kindly, mm. that he he his feet regularly seem to be in the goal. Mm. I mean, um, there's a good case to be made that he would have saved that header had it not gone in off Gabriel's head. Yes, true. So I don't want to be like critical of him for that. I he mean, has I been good. I mean, yeah. I have been critical in the past, but I think this season, with the exception of that aberration at the start in the Champions League, this in this run while Czech's been out, mm. I think he's really been very solid, very reliable. Mm. I still think that if Czech was fit, he 100% should have played. Well, and I think he has to play the next game. Simple as that. Yeah. Unless there's some weird injury thing goes on between now and Sunday, but uh, hopefully that's not the case. So look, 3-2 down then, shell-shocked, and Arsene Wenger brought on Aaron Ramsey for... Mm-hmm. Uh, who did he bring on Ramsey for? Coquelin. And then he brought on Giroud, Giroud for, for El Nenny. So, I mean, we have a midfield partnership of of uh, Ramsey and Iwobi. Um, mm. And then he brought on Theo Walcott as well. All the forwards to try and get us a goal. And Lauren Cassiani was the man who got the equaliser. He was, yeah. Tidy finish. He likes he likes a goal, doesn't he, Lauren mm. Cassiani, every now and then. Yeah. Um, beautiful assist off the shin of Danny Welbeck as well. <laughs> uh, lovely piece of miscontrol that paid, paid off for us there. But yeah, we got the equaliser. And did you... At three all, there was still a fair. What, what minute was that? Twenty minutes. minutes. There was twenty uh, minutes. Yeah, it was the seventieth minute when we scored. So there was like twenty minutes plus injury time to get and a did winner. Did you feel like we could ever? Did you feel like that was on the cards? Well, I, you look at the players that we have on the pitch: Giroud, Walcott. Uh, was it Welbeck came off for Walcott? Wasn't Welbeck it? Welbeck came off. Right. Yeah. So you've got uh, Ramsey Alexis. on the pitch. You've got Alexis. You've got Ozil. You've got Iwobi. There's plenty of goals right there. 
I mean, mm. the moment when it opened up for Alexis for a shot on his left foot and he cut back inside on his right. Oh, that was infuriating, wasn't uh, it? Yeah, I don't scream at the television very often because what is the point in screaming at inanimate objects, even though I know I've revealed on this podcast before, maybe the uh, the Arscast regular, that I do shout at inanimate ob- objects all the time. Sure. But the television, when a football match is on, but that was one, it was like, what the fuck? Just hit it, it with your left up. foot. It opened up brilliantly. And then, I mean, he loves to cut inside, doesn't he, Alexis? That is his favourite thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he wasn't going to resist the opportunity, but it was... It was definitely there to be here. Oh. Um, so but, that was, that was yeah, irritating. But, but uh, you know, when it came right down to it, did, did Adrienne have to make any saves? Not really. I can't really think of any... I can't think of any particularly big chances for either side, actually, in that last period. Mm. Um, I feel like... I mean, you know, the problem was it was that classic thing where we'd thrown on so many attacking players that we didn't actually have great shape to our team anymore. Yeah. So it's probably quite difficult to exert any sustained pressure. Um, although I did think Iwobi did well, you know, in that deep lying role, uh, you know, just considering his inexperience and being put in that position, I thought yeah. he did he did okay. So look, overall, a very frustrating, disappointing point uh, from the Upton Bowling Park. Ground. What did we predict, Andrew? That's the question. Well, here we go. I'm going to get the prediction thing. The prediction. What's it? It's on the it's on the wall here. Yeah. All right, so we got to do our predictions and then obviously the the Spurs and Leicester games. Mm. So, um, the Arsenal predictions. Bum, bum, bum. Okay, I can't remember which... Was it just last week's game? Yeah. That we did? So hang on, one, two, three, four, five. Have we got six games left? We do. Yeah. We've got six games left. Okay, I better cross off the ones that we've already done. So... My prediction for this game was a draw. Okay. You were correct. Well I done. was correct. Your prediction was a loss. So we're up on the deal, guys, mm-hmm. for me. However, let's go to our predictions of Leicester and uh, Sunderland uh, or Tottenham. We both predicted a win for Leicester. Did you got we that? Yeah. And we both predicted a win for Tottenham against Manchester United. I think. One, hmm. two, three, four, five. No, actually. I'm a bit fucked here. Because I can't remember which, which how many <laughs> you games. You haven't written have down which game is which. Yeah, I haven't. So how many games have Tottenham got left? Let me just see. They've got How many left? Uh six left. Six no, left. five left, five left, five left. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three. Okay. Yeah, we both predicted wins for Tottenham against Manchester United. So we're both right in that regard. So I got all go. three right. Congratulations. How Great. does it feel? Miserable. <laughs> <laughs> um, did, you, um, did you watch the Leicester and Spurs games? I did. I watched the Leicester game. And yeah, I mean, they just keep doing it. They just keep doing it. I'm on board now, you know. Yeah. I have to, I have to, because yeah. we can't yeah. win it. There's no way we can win it. So the only thing I can do now is hope that Leicester win it and Tottenham don't. That's yeah. it. Please, God. <laughs> Please let that happen. As unpleasant um, as some of their characters are, you know, it's much better to have a racist striker win the league than Tottenham. I wholeheartedly agree. What have Leicester and Tottenham got that we haven't got organization 
that's the main thing, isn't that's it? That's the thing that just, the one word that just struck me. I mean, I don't want to talk well of Tottenham in any way, really, but they're good. Yeah. They're a good team and they're well organised and you can see that in the way that they play. And Leicester, when you look at the, through that Leicester side, like look at the two centre halves. People go on about Mertesacker, for example. Mertesacker's got no pace, blah, blah, blah. Well, fucking... Knows Robert Huth. No, knows Wes Morgan. I would put money on Mertesacker beating Robert Huth in a foot race. Mm. So pace is not the issue. I'd you, like to see that if anyone can organise that. Yeah, please. I'd really two, enjoy it. The two Germans. Yeah. Um, you look through the side, you look at the players on an individual basis and in terms of talent, individual quality and all those kind of things, you would say that there are teams throughout this league that have more than Leicester, much more. So what have they got that, that the others don't? They've got organisation, they've got spirit, they've got, you know, and, and those kind of things, spirit and will to win and desire are completely intangible. We can't measure them. But what we can do is look at how they play and the way they play and the way they manage games and the, yeah. the, the way that they stay organised defensively, the way that the midfield helps out the back four, the way that the strikers and the wide players um, uh, help their help their fullbacks and don't allow the dangerous situations um, to develop. I mean, essentially, Leicester have played a 4-4-2 most of the season, right? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, in this modern era of football, that's viewed as anachronistic in a certain way, that that's not a formation that can be successful. Yet, here we are. They're top of the table, five games to go, and they look like they could win the league. There's a lot to be said for for that. So that's where, that's where I would uh, point to. I mean, I don't think they've conceded a goal for five games, you know. Mm. Four 1-0 wins, a 2-0 win at this weekend. Um, it is amazing. I mean, uh, no, I don't think anybody would argue that Wes Morgan's a better footballer than Laurent Koscielny. You know, I don't think anyone would suggest that Danny Simpson can hold a candle to Hector Bellerin. And yet, the the sum of their parts is, is so much more efficient. Mm. Um, mm. It is frustrating, though, because, you know, you talk about teams with more talent and Arsenal are undoubtedly one of those yeah but they just they fall short in some of these some of these slightly less tangible areas I think you know I I actually do think that Leicester play with a greater spirit a greater sense of courage than sure. Arsenal teams do but I think that that is hard to measure and that's hard to define mm. the organisation thing leadership as we we talked about leadership's early. a big one yeah um, but I think you know motivation but I think the 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 organisation, the tactical elements are things that can be implemented mm. fairly practically. Yeah, um, and and yet are not for sure. I, even Arsene Wenger said something about it at the weekend, didn't he? He said something about leadership. Hang on, let me see if I can find it. Bom Okay, hang on. No, he didn't. Maybe he didn't. <laughs> Maybe I was just dreaming it. I thought he did. Maybe. I mean, it's interesting. It's an age-old thing, isn't it? Arsenal need more leaders, but mm. it does feel particularly true at the moment, you know. Mm. Um, maybe it's because Arteta's been phased out of the team, because Murtaka seems to not be in favour at the moment as opposed to Gabriel, because uh, Czech, you know, can't go back into the side, Ospina's still in there, but we do seem to lack... Organisers on the pitch as well as off it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, look, there we go. Um, that was the game. So look, we're, we've wow, we've 
waffled on here quite a bit. <laughs> um, will we take a break and come back with questions? Let's take a break and come back with questions. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two, where we answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter, at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog, and, of course, on Facebook. I remembered to do a thing on Facebook today, so if you want to check it out, That's it's face- yeah, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. That's the, uh, the official uh, Arsblog page on there. So let's do it, James. Let's do the questions. You go first. Oh, thank you very much. What an honour. You'd think I would have been prepared, but I wasn't. Okay. This, uh, uh, all right, oh, let's start with this one. This is from NJ Go- Arsenal, or NJ Gooner. Two pseudonyms from New Jersey. Okay. Morris County. He says, Why do people keep insisting the season is over when in fact it isn't? Is our fan base just a bunch of quitters? Well, technically speaking, the season is not over because we still have six games to go. So on that point, he is absolutely right. It's not over, and anyone who insists that it's over is wrong. But is it over when it comes to having a successful season in terms of winning trophies? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. I'm, I'm, and I'm over it, <laughs> nearly. I don't, uh, think, I don't think it's the fans being a bunch of quitters. I think it's people being realistic about a situation where you have six games to go and you're 13 points behind the leaders. That's not being a quitter. <laughs> that's that's what the, that's doing the math. I mean, everybody knows that the jig is up, I think. The jig is up, I like it. Uh, the jig is up. I think Leicester need... They've got five games left. Mm-hmm. If they win two of them they will definitely finish above us. Mm. So there's a... I mean, (laughs) and that's if we win all our games, which (laughs) I still would not bet on. Yeah, I wouldn't bet on that either because, of course, the XFU uh, (laughs) says that... (laughs) Well, with our XFU numbers this high, guys, we'll be lucky to win any games. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, yeah, uh, it is over in a way. It's weird this bit of the season now, I think, now that we are sort of out of it. I mean, we are all Leicester fans, aren't we, for the next few weeks? Got to be. You've got to be because the alternative is just, just unthinkable. Unthinkable. Don't be quitters fans. I want you to stay interested in the season and put all your positive energy behind Leicester. Yeah. It's a, it, has, it has to happen. Yeah. It'll be a victory for all football. So I'm not a quitter. I have to say, you know, if there's even the vaguest, slimmest hope... As ludicrous as it is, there's a part of me that goes, because I, I don't know how to explain this. I When I grew up as a kid and I thought about Arsenal, I thought that they could do anything. I thought mm. that they could win anything. And I grew up in the 70s when Liverpool won everything and Arsenal won fuck all. Um, you know, we got the 1979 FA Cup final, then you had the whole 80s thing. But I still had this belief in Arsenal as an institution doing or being capable of doing anything or winning anything, or doing things the right way. that I, I can't shake that. <laughs> as ludicrous as it despite is... Despite all the evidence. <laughs> despite all the evidence, and despite me knowing better, there's just this part of me that goes, well, it's only 13 points, and if they, you know... But I know, I'm not being a quitter, I'm just being realistic here, that uh, the season is is not over from a technical point of view, but from a, uh, the chances of winning the Premier League, they're well and truly gone at this point. 
But, 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 they, but, 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 but what? Well, no, no, no the I Premier think... League's gone. The Premier League's definitely gone. All right. I thought, you, I thought you were going to tell me that there was a chance, a miracle no, chance, something had happened. I can't see it. No. But if we win what? our game what? in hand... What? Go on. No, we, sorry. Yeah. On, <laughs> if we win our game in hand, we will be just three points behind Spurs. Mm. And surely, surely it's something to play for still to not allow them to finish above us because it's been so long now. Mm. And... It, and you know, it'll be horrible. It'll be horrible to not celebrate St. Totteringham's Day like every other year. Yeah. Um, and uh, again, it doesn't feel massively likely. I mean, they're much more informed than us, it would seem, at present. Mm. But that is a, a, a gap that we could reel in conceivably. Yeah. So I think that's really, I mean, with the league gone... You know, that's got to be the focus. That's where our season comes down to. All right. Um, this one comes from Nut or Knut. I don't know how you pronounce that. Knut or Nut Moland. He's at Knutsen or Nutsen 1. Okay. And he wants to know, is it time to try out the chambers Koscielny partnership at Central Defence? What do you reckon? What, just as some sort of, you know, Central Defender roulette? Let's just give everyone a, a go. <laughs> well, um, well, I guess based on the fact that, well, uh, Gabriel and Koscielny was exposed against West Ham. The manager has decided also that Mertesacker and Koscielny isn't his thing right at this moment in time. So should we not try something else? I mean, I would be more inclined to... If I was going to change it, if I was arsing, I'd probably be more inclined with uh, this stage of the season to bring in Mertesacker back alongside Koscielny than than have a go with Chambers. But, I mean, if if the season plays out in this way over the next couple of games and we genuinely are left with nothing to play for, then we probably ought to have a look at Chambers at centre-back. Mm. Um, while there's still something at stake, even if it is just finishing above our local rivals, I'd probably be more inclined to go with the, the experienced guy and a partnership that has at least worked and functioned before very mm. effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's not forget... But, uh, I mean, maybe... Uh, I think centre-half's an area that we're going to have to uh, address. I mean, I'm going to throw in uh, another question now. It's from Matt Beck, uh, at Matt Beck 27 He says, in January, I asked about your thoughts on Gabrielle's first year. Do you remember that? We were talking about Gabrielle back in uh, January. Uh, uh, no. No, OK. Well, <laughs> I said I thought he'd been really good. <laughs> right. And you were a bit more cautious. So. OK. And then he says, can we now say he's just squillachy with a tough upbringing? <laughs> That's very interesting. Um, squillachy with a tough upbringing. Look, I don't think he's been quite that bad, but I don't think he's developed in the way that we would have liked, that the uh, there are issues with his defending. I mean, he's a tidy footballer. He's good on the ball. He's quick. He's not as strong as he should be. Did you see him get bounced by Payet? At one point in the I second did. half, he went I like, I'm going in here. And Payet literally just, you know, I know those kind of short squat guys are, you can bounce off them, but Stocky, if, you're, yeah, if you're big and strong enough already. Um, did you see the quotes from Matt Spiral? Oh, from Squalacci. I actually didn't see them. Have you got them to I don't have the quotes per se. No. But um, Matt is a journalist based in France, and he said, had a couple of tweets here. He's at Matt Spiro, and he said, I had an interesting chat with Squalacci about the difficulties of being a centre-back in a Wenger team. He knows a thing about that too, too often exposed. 
Campbell, Toure, Keown, Adams, etc. Good enough to cope. Koscielny just about two, but not many others are. And then there was a lot of tweets obviously going, well, Scorlacci is shit. He's a terrible player, blah, blah, blah. Um, and Matt's point was, uh, for those slating him, okay, but he won trophies with Monaco, Lyon, Sevilla. I think he won a European trophy, didn't he, with Sevilla? Mm-hmm. Uh, played in the World Cup and the Champions League final. Arsenal was his only failure. So it's quite interesting, isn't it, to look at the the litany of centre-halves who've come and gone and not been successful at Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, when Squalacci arrived, he had a certain pedigree. You know? I thought he was... For for the for the the time that was in it, and for the the way the club was, and we had, I think, um, did we still we still had Juru at that time, mm-hmm. and Juru was. Do you remember that period when Juru looked like the greatest centre half ever? And we yeah. went through this long the period. Where, yeah, yeah. Whenever he played, we won. He was cool, cool, calm, collected on the ball, and then it all went to shit. But whatever. And Koscielny had just signed. And then you look at uh, a player like Squilacci coming in, who was, what, maybe 29, 30 at the time. All this European experience. He was playing for Sevilla, who were playing Champions League football. He'd been with Monaco. He'd done all these and played at the World Cup, et cetera, et cetera. On paper, that was a guy who really should have fit the bill. Mm. And it just went terribly, terribly wrong. And perhaps it's the inability to cope with the pressure of being a defender in Arsene Wenger's teams that the defenders, we go through these periods, don't we, where we go, fucking hell, our defense is being exposed time and time again, and something will happen uh, where we have one of these amazing games where Walcott tracks back and does all the defending and helps his fullback out, and the, you know, the defensive midfielder shuttles across and cuts out the runs, and they don't get the crosses in, and they go, this is the blueprint for Arsenal to play football. If the team works <laughs> together we can all be magnificent and fantastic we can defend well we can do all these things and it's like after a few games we go uh yeah we'll just kind of carry on do what we normally do and all of a sudden the defense (laughs) is left exposed time and time again and i think that's a really good point is that the defense is so often exposed that guys look like worse defenders than they actually are because they're just being fucking relentlessly battered in games and relentlessly being left without any help or protection from the midfield. It's why Coquelin, when he came in, people went, whoa, fuck, this is, this is brilliant. Like, all of a sudden, there isn't a great big gap right down the center of our midfield. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think the, you're right. The, yeah, so these, these issues that our defenders face... You can point to the quality of some of the defenders, and I don't think you can you can uh, excuse all of it. Um, but you can look at you can look at the way that uh, teams are allowed play against our defenders, and I think the best defenders around would struggle, given some of the things uh, our guys have had to to contend with over the yeah, years. Yeah, I mean, drop you know drop a Morgan or a Hooth into the Arsenal team, I'm sure they'd look. Uh, a, a mess, <laughs> I, you know. Drop even a, a Vertonghen or an Alderweireld in. I, I don't think they'd look half the player they do at Spurs. And I think that is because of the system and the support around them. Mm. Um, yeah, we we always are searching for individuals, and already people are talking about. Well, this summer we need to buy a certain kind of centre half who can partner Koscielny and can offer this and offer that. And I think mm. that's probably true. However, I also think that. If the the structural issues in the team aren't fixed, then they're still going to be exposed. Mm, yeah. However much money you spend on them, absolutely, absolutely. Organization, James. Organization. Mm. Well, listen. I mean, I I'm just doing all the questions today. I hope you don't mind. No, not at um, all. 
But Guna DS asks, is the defensive weakness due to players or training method? And if it's the latter, how much responsibility should Steve Bold take? Remember Steve Bold? Steve Bold, he came in and there was all that chat about, you know, he's going to help the defence out and we had a decent run with him. Yeah. You know, it's all gone quiet, hasn't it? <laughs> Has a bit, but then I don't, I don't know. It's difficult to make any real assessment because we don't know how much work he is doing on the training ground. We or, don't know about the delineation responsibility, do we? Absolutely. As we know, that Arsene Wenger likes to take all the training sessions. Mm-hmm. He decides what happens and when it happens. And while I, I don't buy into the theory that we don't do any defensive training, I do feel like we could probably do more based on what we're seeing. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. It's very difficult, isn't it? There was a great picture during the week. Did you see it? Um, of Steve Bold and Arsene Wenger on the training ground. Steve Bold is saying something. Steve Bold is saying something to Arsene Wenger, and Steve, and Wenger's got his arms out like what? What are you saying? This <laughs> is quite a, quite a good Say picture. Say what? Say what? Right. <laughs> um, I'm going to see if I can if I can find it here while we're talking. But um, it's it's difficult to know what Steve Bold is doing. What you would say is, in general, that our defensive coaching leaves something to be desired. And again, Mm. it comes back to defending not just being the realm of defenders, that the team do have a responsibility. Everybody in the team has a responsibility. Oh, here's the picture. I'm going to send it to you now. Will I send it on this thing in here, in the chat thing? Yeah. Where the fuck is it gone? Bottom right. Bottom right. Oh, there it is. Little chatty doodah. Um, I'll put a link to this on the on the blog post if someone wants to go and check it out. Oh yeah, God! <laughs> it, Arson looks like he's sort of going up to Steve and saying, "And what? Yeah. And what, mate? Bring it!" Yeah. Who did, what the fuck? Yeah. I, yeah. What do you mean organization? Yeah. What do you mean stopping crosses? What do you mean attacking the ball? What Listen, do you mean mate. heading it away? Yeah. What's what, the, what are these? You're just going to confuse them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I was just thinking about our team and I was thinking about Leicester. I'm thinking about Leicester a lot at the moment, but, you know, their strategy for the second half of the season, at least, has basically been be organised, be compact, defend mm. and rely that your creative players, your likes of Mares, and your clinical attackers, the likes of Vardy, will get the job done at the other end. And do you not think that in people like Ozil and Alexis, say... Arsenal have the attacking talent to be able to do that, to be able to get the one goal needed. Mm. What they what they maybe need is uh, a coach or a strategy that that just protects the other end because the attacking quality is there inherent in the side. Arsenal have the ability to hurt a team; they just don't necessarily have te- uh, the ability to protect themselves. No, they've they've got the ability to hurt themselves by the yeah. way that they by the way that we defend. Yeah, I mean it's a great point. You don't need to control a game to win it, you know, necessarily. If if you can defend, mm. then jobs are good. In. Three, no, eight times we've conceded three goals or more this season in all competitions. That's a lot of times. That's too many times, isn't it? Yeah. It's I too mean, many times. It's too many times. And when you look at the fact that you look at the league table and you look at the side that are top have lost three games in the league this season, we've already lost seven. Yeah. Very nearly eight yesterday. I mean even in the last couple of weeks when it, there has been more of a mathematical probability of us winning the league, mm. it's it's never really felt like we 
were champions or in the making, you know? Yeah, yeah. It feels like something is, is kind of missing from the dressing room, doesn't it? And that's why Sean Carey, at Sean Carey 8, wants to know, would you consider bringing in John Sitton next season just for the halftime team talks? <laughs> <laughs> it would be tempting, especially if we could get one of those cameras in the dressing room, you know? Well, here, for people who don't know, John Sitton was the manager of Leighton Orient and they did a fly-on-the-wall documentary. Um, and his I team mean, talks were... if there was were... a fly on the wall, the fly has flown away in, in sheer terror. All right, but I, I had to listen back to some of them before we recorded while I was waiting for you after your, you know, delay. Sure. Uh, I had a bit of time to kill, so I went and, and listened back to a couple of them. And this, if you can imagine the Arsenal dressing room at halftime on Saturday, <laughs> I think this fits in very well. I'm going to play it for you now. Hang on. Okay. What did I say to you about good players? They want to be good players all the time. Don't you know how profound that is if you're not examining the fucking words? Because you've had two good performances and you think, I'm fucking Bertie Big Bollocks tonight. I'll fucking play how I like. <laughs> but you won't play your like, because if you play your like, I'll fucking stick to you too. Too many Bertie Big Bollocks. So you, you, you little cunt, when I tell you to do something, and you, you fucking big cunt, when I tell you to do something, do it. And if you come back at me, we'll have a fucking right sort out of here. <laughs> All right? And you can pair up if you Management's like. It's easy, really, you can when you fucking pick someone else to help you and you can bring your fucking dinner. Because by the time I'm finished with you, you'll fucking need it. you fucking need it. You're going to bring your fucking, fucking dinner. It, mate. Uh, see, look, get rid of Steve Bowl, bring him in as the assistant. Surely that'll sort everything out. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. Bertie Big I Bollocks. You play two good games and you think you're Bertie Big Bollocks. Well, that's I mean, exactly, it's uncanny. That's what exactly what happened to us, really, yeah. Yeah. Um... And, and, you know, I think that Bertie Big Bollocks thing, there is something in that, that sense of, oh, we've won two games, we're back again, we're Arsenal, we're a Champions League team. We're 2 0 up, aren't we great? We're coasting, and we went to West Ham, and we didn't show them due respect, really. Mm. And we paid for it. Mm. Uh, have you any questions? I mean, I feel like I've done loads of them now. Okay, I've, I think I've got some. Um, Come on. All right, just give me a second. Jesus, no, get, stop the pressure. Get them. I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm hungry for questions. I'm, oh, well, hungry for I'm questions. Hungry. And here's a good one. If Michael Owen, this comes from Gunnar John, at Mr. John Friend. Yeah. If Michael Owen and Danny Mills were drowning and you only had one life jacket, what's your favourite cheese? <laughs> um, I like a Shropshire Blue. Oh, you like blue cheese, do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not mad into it. What do you like? Baby Bell? <laughs> mini Baby Bell. Fuck yeah, Mini like Baby Bell. Mini Baby Bell. Um, um, I like uh, mozzarella. Uh, mozzarella. Not, know, not, the, nice. like, not the big blocks of mozzarella, but the, the mozzarella di bufala or buffalo mozzarella, the whatever. Little ball it. type thing. Yeah, yeah, but I remember when I worked in this place in Spain, we had a lot of Italians work there too. And one day, this guy came back from Italy, he'd been home to visit Mama and the whole lot. And he came back with a piece of uh, buffalo mozzarella. It was about the size of your head. It was fucking outstanding. Right. In one of those uh, uh, plastic things, and it had the water in it that it sits in, you know, to keep it all fresh and stuff. And basically, people were just going in and out all day taking bits of this uh, this mozzarella. It was absolutely great. But I'm not a big fan of the the blue cheese. No, okay. don't like I, mean, it. I can understand that. I mean, effectively, it's mouldy food, um, but it is delicious. That's I watched a very interesting program about that recently. Um, about mouldy food? Or? Yeah. 
It's on Netflix. It's called Cooked by Michael Pollan. And he did this uh, book called The Omnivore's Dilemma. And he's done this uh, program on Netflix called Cooked. And it's uh, fire, earth, water, and air. And one of the things that he talks about is, you know, making bread and using fermentation and beer and, and how, you know, you know, the way they do those crazy things uh, where they like bury dead shark. Yeah, uh, eat that. like fermented fish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a bit what blue cheese is like for me. Fermented dead shark. I just can't... Uh, doesn't work for me. Can't get on board. I can understand that, to be fair. Um, I just like mouldy food. So, right. you know, I, I just leave mine in the cupboard until it's green, and then I think it's delicious. <laughs> um, let's... Okay, well, speaking of taste, this is a good question, I thought. This is from Tapio Ranta at Hopeful Gunner. Is he still hopeful? Who knows? Don't know. And he asks, um, you've had an accident... And your taste buds have been transferred to your hands or to your feet. Choose one. Um, well, I would, I would have to say hands. Same. Because on my feet, I'm going to be wearing socks pretty much all the time. Socks and shoes. Right. And I don't want to taste my socks and shoes. Now, I'm, you know, I, I wear clean socks. Show off. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what comes with age. It's the wisdom of age, yeah. learning, to, learning to wear clean socks. I look forward to owning my second pair of socks and yeah. finally being able to do that. Um, so if you were to taste socks and shoes all the time, that'd be pretty grim. And also if you went barefoot, what are you tasting? Concrete. When do you go barefoot? When you walk on the beach? Sand. No one wants sand. to eat sand. No one wants to eat sand and no one wants to taste like dog piss, because dogs piss on the sand, and birds shit on the sand, and it's all very salty. Be just too salty, be thirsty all the time. However, with hands, you could wear gloves from a day to day. You could wear like the surgical gloves, so you don't taste anything, and then you walk along, and you walk into someone's kitchen, and they've got a big bowl of chili there. You just take the gloves off and go, blum, 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 and put your hands Careful in you the chili. you don't burn yourself, though. Yeah, you'd have to let it cool down a little bit. But yeah, you could just like splodge your hands onto things. You just walk into a restaurant. This is how you, <laughs> this is how you taste food. Walk into a restaurant and just randomly go splat, 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 splat onto people's plates. Ooh, that steak Diane was delicious. Ooh, that spaghetti carbonara was delicious. Sorry about your dinner, folks, but uh, I had to taste something. That'll be it. So hands for me. But shaking hands with people on introduction would Wearing be gloves. with difficulty. Gloves. Always Wear gloves. gloves. Yep, yep. Very good. I mean, I'm almost mindful of the fact that you have been offered this situation before. You're so... You're so astute in your interpretation of it. Hey. I mean, I think you've actually got this bang on. Yeah, I think so too. I think so. All right, I've got one final question. This comes from one of our pals on Facebook, which is James Stewart Wild, And he said, if you had the choice of having one of the following superpowers, which would you have and who would you use it on? One, the power to make someone happy. Or two, the power to make someone unhappy. Oh. Um, today, I probably—I <laughs> don't know. There are lots of temptations. Mm. I mean, I, you know, I, the the happiness on myself would be quite nice. No, you can't um, use it on yourself. Oh, I can't use it on myself. No, the unhappiness. Um, my mate Jack, who's a West Ham fan, right. he was giving me quite a lot of stick over the weekend. I'd quite, quite like something bad to befall him. Fuck today. you, Jack. Yeah, Jack. Um, 
He's in a McCoy's advert at the moment where he eats a crisp and makes a weird noise. Keep an eye out for him. All right. You, if it, every time that McCoy's advert comes on telly, swear at your telly and say, fuck you, Jack. Fuck you. I'm uh, never buying McCoy's again. Yeah. I mean, if McCoy's want to send me any free crisps, that is fine. That's fine. Um, so I think Jack, the West Ham fan, I'd make him really unhappy. It's his turn. Right. Um, what about you? Well, I think there's far too much negativity in the world. And Here we go. I would li- I'd prefer to make someone happy than make someone uh-huh. unhappy. Now, that's You're not to say that there isn't, you know, obviously a part of my brain that is thinking Mourinho, John yeah. Terry, Phil Collins, Phil Andy Collins, Carroll, a, a dolphin. Know, yeah, yeah, a yeah, dolphin. Yeah. Oh, yeah, by the way, by the way, <laughs> thanks for the fucking, how many? One, two, three, four, nine dolphin emojis in a text last night. That was... It was, it was like a red rag to a bull. <laughs> I know how much you hate dolphins. Fucking bastard dolphins. Just, let's just all just start tweeting arse blog dolphin emojis and just see if he finally cracks under oh, the pressure. You, you are, listen, Twitter is on the brink of a downfall and now you've just absolutely <laughs> fucked it. I've pushed it over the yeah, edge. Yeah, I'm just going to get dolphin emojis all day long. Um, who would I like to make happy? Um, I'd just like to make Arsenal fans happy. Aww. Oh. By well, peace. By making Tottenham and Leicester unhappy. There we go. Because they get a points deduction for fielding ineligible players and just being annoyingly consistent over the mm. course of a season. There should be an FA rule introduced outlawing organisation in any form. And those two teams have displayed that overtly. In yeah, fact, you would go so far as to say that they, they've been quite smug about it. I would say they're very pleased with themselves. But, you know, when this new law comes in, they'll rue the day they tactically plan something. Yeah, exactly. Motherfuckers like Slavin Bilic and his, his whatever he did. What did he do again that I've forgotten? Oh, yeah. He set up his team to expose our weaknesses. Oh, he's got a nerve. Well, outrageous. It is just outrageous. A final bit of good news. Arsenal have just tweeted that Matthew Debussy returned from injury to help Bordeaux keep a clean sheet. So that'll raise spirits. Good to see Bordeaux defending well (laughs) with our players. (laughs) And uh, the first reply to the tweet from Captain Morocco has just said in all capital letters, no one cares. (laughs) Well, Captain Morocco, I uh, I think he summed it up there quite well. He has indeed. Let's give the final word to Captain Morocco. I did the like. I did like the worst Ar- superhero. <laughs> <laughs> I did like the other Arsenal tweet about um, how uh, Nacho Monreal nearly scored against West Ham. Yeah, that was a good one. I mean, that yeah, wouldn't wind God. people up at all, would it? No, no, no I do. No, anyway, I do. anyway, we'll go and uh, see if Captain Morocco can save the day. Maybe he's the hero we've all been waiting for. Batman versus Superman versus Captain Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> it's the next big movie, guys. Oh, God. All right. Okay. Let's well, go forget about all this. Yes, let's. Are you going out to get drunk again? Yeah, why not? It's Monday. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll, <laughs> Start pre- again. I'll prepare myself for the, for the uh, dolphin avalanche. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll chat to you on Friday ahead of the Crystal Palace game on Sunday, and we'll be here next Monday to, uh, to figure out the XFU on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to it. Bye-bye.